welcome to the Burning Eye podcast. It is the last podcast of the year. It's been, a, I want to say a magical journey, but it's, it's been a journey, <laughs> journey through the year. And we are uh, released 15 collections this year. We started off the year with Maria Ferguson. Um, and now we are at the end of the year. And last night we launched Complete and Utter Cult by Elvis McGonagall. And today I'm joined by the wonderful Bethany Rose. She'll talk mm. about her new book, Neon, uh, which came out a few weeks ago. Hi, Beth. Hi, Bridget. How are you? I'm very well. I'm feeling very relaxed. I made mm. a shepherd's pie today. Oh, how lovely. Yeah. And how are you? I, yeah, I did cooking with the kids at school and um, I was worried they were going to be naughty. So I chose to do something really simple with them. So we made cheese toasties. So that was oh. my cooking of the day. Everyone loves a cheese toasty. Yeah, such an understated classic. And you have to get that the little toasty maker that makes it go into triangles as well it's the best part yeah do you know what for years i didn't realize that you needed a specific device to be able to do that and i was just like trying to cut like weird grooves in my in my sandwiches oh, them were in the you? yeah yeah i know what i'm getting you for christmas <laughs> <laughs> so but as i was just saying it's been it's been a year hasn't it it's been um quite the year and obviously your book has come out right at the end of this completely maddening state of society how are you feeling about it yeah I think I found it quite um an interesting experience because I was um I was really unwell for quite a long time and I was starting to get a little bit better at the very beginning of lockdown so for me the isolation has almost been double fold because before locked before the first lockdown I had been isolated for maybe six or seven months so when it first came about, it didn't feel that different for me. And I think something that I'm, I found in this lockdown is that actually I found it easier to navigate than some of my friends because I am used to some of the emotions and things that it has brought up for people that aren't so used to those things like um, isolation, uh, not being able to go to places, not being able to leave your home, not being able to access things those are not new things for me so I felt like actually in terms of like how mentally I dealt with it I think that um I didn't find it easy by any means but I didn't find it that different and I I think there's such an emphasis as well on all of us to to be like human doings like we're always doing stuff doing stuff and not being and I know what it's like to have to sit with myself in a room with the door shut and be like right what now um, so for me, lockdown, the thing I've been most worried about, the people I love, um, but in terms of mental health, it's been interesting because actually what I've noticed is a lot of people in my life have experienced a way of life and a way of living that is, that is common for a lot of us all of the time. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that as well in terms of I had like a really long period of really bad depression and, and grief and for like a few years and then this was going to be my year I was like getting my energy back my therapy was going well I was like hello world oh mm. hello being on my own again and yeah it was really yes. and then it was at the beginning of it was really normal but I, uh, yeah and also I think it's been hard to let myself miss things too because I haven't known when I'm going to get them back yeah. so 
it's not like I think if I just get through the next week, then maybe I'll be strong enough to, because we just don't know when, well, we didn't know when things were going to open. Even now, so I don't, I'm a key worker in my job. So I've been going in anyway, but the tube has been completely empty. You know, I've just been sat on my own on the central line with my earphones in, having a lovely time in the last, well, obviously since Wednesday, it's been packed. Yeah. And it's strange because I felt this panic in my chest a little bit. And I, I it sounds ridiculous, but I forgot how busy life is. I forgot. And I think there is a bit of panic in me that's like, oh my goodness, soon I'm going to be expected to go like out again and be social. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh God. Yeah. Be around loads of to. other people. Yeah. I know. It's, <laughs> it, <laughs> I know what you mean. I'm like, I'm kind of used to this now. And, and yeah, it's going to be, it's going to take some getting used to, to like, hopefully in, in the middle to the second half of next year, we'll be heading back towards some more out time sides. And I'm going to be like, what? What do I do? How do I? And I think also, like COVID, it's obviously it's been horrendous and it's been terrifying, so many reasons. But there's been a parental side to it, which is like bedtime, darling. No, you can't go out tonight. Mm. Um, which has been a very alien thing for me. Which is like I literally have no choice but to practice self care because there's nothing else to do. Yep. (laughs) Um, even stuff I like doing, like seeing friends, new babies, or I can't go and do any of it. I think we've all learned some extra survival skills this year mm-hmm. I would say as well that your book Neon is a survival guide oh I like that I think, I'll take that yeah when when reading it I think there's so much in there to do with your lived experience you sort of you know person that suffers with mental health issues and trauma I got a lot from it because I felt seen um oh, but me cry seen but not patronized but also <laughs> it, it, in such a way that I think it it really speaks to everybody there's a whole there's a multi-dimensional thing here of like you can read it no matter what your experience with mental health is and still mm. get something from it and I think that's that's a really good way of writing and and the the, the book is so accessible like that thank you I think something I've been I think I've I've, I've had to learn to be accessible as um, well, I'm not teaching at the moment, but normally I am. Um, and so I've had to learn there's no point in me being able to sort of use beautiful words if I'm not translating the meaning properly, because then I've lost, I've lost the point. I've lost, you know, the purpose of what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but I think something that, um, something that I've been really passionate about exploring in my work is the lived experience of somebody with mental health issues who's high functioning as well yeah that's Um, it for me that I think that was really it for me because I'm really high functioning and I don't always feel seen in the rhetoric of um you know just not being able to do anything for myself like la da da like that's not Mm. me that's not how I respond to Mm. that that was really comforting to read this from a somewhere that's coming from that productiveness as well Mm, yeah definitely and I think something as well that I've been really interested about um, in this journey so this year for me has been really really interesting one for um, not only my writing but for my body as well because um, because I became so unwell um, I decided to start running don't worry I'm not going to talk about running Um, but I've I've lost you know over five stone this year and it's been a very strange experience because a lot of some of well some of the work uh, maybe something I'll read later is about I've always been a bigger girl and what's been really interesting actually is losing this weight has has given me a break from having to use language to ask for help and that sounds really strange but it's like it's the first time that my illness became visible to people um, yeah. 
and I was met and shockingly so and I'm not complaining because it was lovely but it was also I was met with so much more compassion than I'd ever been met with and it was also the illest I've ever been but part of me wanted to say this is not this is not new it's just more frightening to you because you can see it um and I think something that I had to learn to use as a bigger girl who felt like a baby inside I had to learn how to use words to convey even though I was like big and functioning but to 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 convey like this kind of you know lost child in me yeah because my body couldn't do the talking for me because I'm a well I used to be like you know a size 16 six foot big boob matriarch like and all of a sudden you're like my god like I'm such a it's such a dichotomy because on the days when I want to be a baby and I feel sad and I feel small and I feel lost and alone, the only thing I have is my language because my body never looks weak or small. Um, And I think that's something that's been really interesting for me is exploring, especially as a tall woman as well, but exploring this idea of, of, um, there's a line in my, in my book that says, um, uh, most people write to remember their largeness, but I write to forget it. And I think there is something in that for me about, about having about having mental health issues and and the, the crushing invisibility of them um and there's a there's a another piece in my book where I talk about how I wish I went purple um because yeah, I love that one <laughs> <laughs> because if I went purple everyone would be like my god Beth what the hell are you doing go home or oh I've made her an extra meal because I saw through the window she was glowing purple or yeah. I just think my god I'm so sick of having I'm so lucky that I can use words, but sometimes I'm so sick of always having to ask for help and always having to to talk about help. And sometimes it's a pride thing as well. When it's your body, you don't even have to ask. You don't have to do anything. And that has been a really interesting experience for me this year because it's been completely opposite to anything I've ever encountered really in my life to what it's like to be somebody with chronic crippling depression, well, diagnosed bipolar, um, who's, who's skinny. It's been a completely different experience. Yeah. Um, and it's been interesting because it's meant that I've had to use my words less, which actually I thought would be horrible, but it's actually been quite nice to have a break from that, mm. from having to always translate it all the time. Yeah. Something to do with, I don't know, like translating into words, but my body's doing a bit of translating now. And I think sometimes as a writer, I don't know if you experience this, but... Um, I can become literally a brain on feet. I can, I can, I can become completely detached from my body. Yeah. Um, and so that's why running has been quite good for me because it's the only way that it's like putting my brain back into my skull as opposed to it being stuck in the, on the moon somewhere. It's like bringing me back to myself. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that as well, exercise could be really good for that. I've recently got really into the rowing machine in my mum's house. That's been really helping in the mornings. Really? Has it? Brain. Yeah, yeah, it's been pretty good. But um, <laughs> I think that physicality that you're talking about there is like really shows through in the images that you put into your book as well. So for those of you listening that haven't got a copy in front of you, um, Bethany's book is littered with beautiful images that you did yourself. I did. I, yeah. I've, nev- I've never been able to draw ever. Um, I used to get chucked out of my art class at school. Uh, and um, my brothers and my mum are brilliant artists. So I think I just sort of thought, I'll stick. I play the piano and I can write. So I was like, I'll stick with, you know, that. And then um, about six or seven years ago, I thought I was really struggling in the spoken word world for a while because I think 
uh, my experience of it was that it became very clicky. Mm. Um, I used to go to Spoken Word London every other Wednesday, Pat Cash. And um, it was a real community. There'd be like eight of us, you know, and we'd go and bear our soul. And, and all of a sudden it got featured in, I don't know, something like Metro or Time Out or, and all of a sudden you couldn't even get through the door. And I felt very like, why have you made, I'm not a cool girl. I'm not a cool kid. Like I can't, I can't do this. This is not me. Like I just want to come and talk about how sad life is with people and eat biscuits and like drink vodka. I don't, I can't, I can't do this. So I thought I'm going to try something that I've never tried before. And I thought maybe like writing always makes me remember things. So I thought maybe drawing would help me to forget them. Um, Mm. And it's been really interesting process because I'm not very good and I'm not natural. And so I have to really concentrate. And there's been something really um, therapeutic in that, which is that I can't even really think about how sad I am because I'm just trying to make the hand not look shit. (laughs) (laughs) And that's actually been really useful. And I ended up loving it. And my drawings, they're no no prize winning, like, you know, photorealism or anything. They're doodles. And they're mostly doodles of my my partner. I've always joked that she's um, my muse. And she's like, okay, hon, let's go and have some eggs. Something practical. Um, but um, <laughs> I, think, um, I think that they've, they've been really therapeutic. So they've gone in really. And because they're sort of part of the journey, they're almost like the, um, yeah, the more physical side, I suppose, with the gravity to the book, really. It sort of grounds you back. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. And I really love the way that you've done everything in neon and the whole so it really all wraps up really well <laughs> I'd have to say that that was a purposeful a- aesthetic like decision on my part but it's just always been the colors I've been drawn to like even as a child I'd get all the same colors that are in my book but in Polly pockets <laughs> um, oh yeah lovely and then um, I'd line them up on my carpet open their shells I wouldn't even play with them because that would make a mess and um, look <laughs> at all the colors have them in color order and then close my eyes and make up stories about the Polly Pockets in my head. <laughs> so I think that's about how functional I was. So I think that actually um, those pastel colours have always been, they've just always been something that I found very soothing. I always feel like when I look at those kind of colours and my eyes are having a little drink. Mm. Um, I don't know, there's just something, you know, front cover of my book is the colour of a ballet shoe or a kitten's nose. There's just something about pink for me as well. And pink was the poem that I did that, helped me get to where I am today I did a poem pink for the BBC and most people thought initially it was about the pop star um, <laughs> but I think for me pink has always been a really interesting thing concept to me as well as a like a strong gay woman who's actually quite girly sometimes and how I used to feel quite ashamed of that yeah um, but now I'm just like yeah please make my book neon and ballet shoe pink yeah I agree <laughs> and it's really good and it's really good to be able to um exist with many different labels and then balance all of them and to be happy with that balance and and then yeah like being like yeah I'm gonna pick my book pink and I'm a proud gay woman and like that's have that security of self even though it may not feel like that on the inside I think that projection is very tangible yeah and I think to be able to sit with the parts of yourself you're not comfortable with but with compassion rather than judgment absolutely um I do think there's a very young girl in me and I think I've always been very ashamed of that and I think for me something about like being you know this this kind of tall gay woman who works in these tough schools who I'm really passionate about animal rights and feminism and all of that so I think that has been a part of me that has been embarrassed about the fact that you could get me a unicorn cushion and I'd cry with joy or like a mermaid pair of mermaid socks and I just couldn't be happier 
<laughs> I, I also have that inner child tangible enough for me to have to manage a lot. So, yeah, yeah that's nice. And again, that ties back to what I was originally saying about feeling that connection in that book and that accessibility for certain types of, of functioning with mental health. Yeah. Um, how was the um, how was the book production process for you? How was the editing and, and putting everything together? How how was that for you? I think um, it was. I mean, it was great because it was with you, so it was fine. <laughs> um, I, some of the poems in there are really quite old, and so for me, it had it had undergone such a rigorous editing process before it even started being edited for me. So I felt much more comfortable giving it to you guys because I was like this is the best I can get it um and I was worried because I've had times before when I've been edited and you know they they really do change quite a bit and it loses its meaning or and it hasn't been like that at all um and it's just been a really lovely process I was quite worried because it was last November I had a couple of bits due for Burning Eye and I messaged you and Clive and I said look I'm really really poorly um I don't know what to do. I, I'm pretty certain I'll be able to do it, but I just wanted to let you know that this is this is what's going on. And I got a reply within about 20 minutes just saying, just so supportive. And in a way, that helped me meet my deadlines because I think when it's the same as having a good teacher who supports you. Like if somebody has got your back, it might well for me, if somebody has I can't speak on behalf of everybody, if somebody has my back, it, I find that very motivating. Yeah. Because I just think I'm not doing this because I'm fearing. Um, a kind of punitive consequence I'm not doing this book because I'm going to get a bollocking if I don't meet the deadline I'm doing it because like these two people are rooting for me and they believe in my work um, and I've had so many people believe in my work for so many years but this is the first time that I've ever had a, a book published yeah um, I felt like it was a really lovely process um, and it was really interesting like because obviously I, I then worked with Harriet as well with editing and it it was interesting um I had to keep rereading the poems and imagining I was reading them for the first time when actually some of them are like old friends or old enemies. Um, yeah. No, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Or some of them I'm like, my goodness gracious me, baby girl, I let you go a long time ago, but here you are and I don't like your third line anymore. Um, <laughs> and there's something hard for me in the editing process, which is that obviously the more lived experiences you have, I could easily with this book um, after another year completely strip it and re-edit it again because that's the problem isn't it because your lived mm. experience means you can constantly chip at poems but actually sometimes something the editing process has taught me it's like I have to know when I'm like that's the be that's that's what it is it has to stay like that now it can't I can't shape it anymore because then it will become something that it was never intended to be yeah um so yeah, yeah. I agree that's a tricky one isn't it with um with uh, debut collections a lot of it is going back over old material and really having to make that decision between well, yeah, I really like this poem, but does it fit with what I, who I am now and what I want this book to represent? And yeah, I think there could be a tendency to just try and cram all of your old stuff in there to try and build it up. But then you also find that by the time you get round to actually publishing the book and having the book in your hands, that material is now even older and mm. you're like, oh, I, I don't know if I want to do it. So you have to make difficult decisions with your material when it's a debut collection because yeah. you have to know that by the time the book comes out you're still going to want to do those pieces 
Yeah. And I think also looking at, I started to look, this is, uh, gives you an indication of how poorly I was at the time, but sometimes I would look at my poems sort of like corpses in front of me and I think, okay, do you, can I give you some CPR? Can I resuscitate <laughs> you? Can, can we raise you back? Can we give you some life or am I just going to leave you there and put a blanket over you, you know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's hard knowing, is this a part of myself I want to turn my back on, but a great poem? Or is this a part of myself I love, but the poem isn't actually that good? And I think that has been a learning process for me too, where I'm like, oh, I'm really vulnerable and I don't like myself in this, but it's a bloody good poem. I better (laughs) keep it in. Whereas I've got other ones that that like really sum up like who I am as a woman now, but they're not really very good. So it's it's really hard to to make those decisions. Yeah. And it's also, it's quite... It's quite interesting. Like, there's um, there was one poem that I left out, which was a really conscious choice for me. It was my first ever poem that I ever did. That I ever did at spoken word nights, at gigs, at slams. I won Genesis Slam with it, and and it's called my first day at school. And I read it and read it. It's a really long poem as well. It's like nine pages, and I just looked at it and I was like, this poem is why I'm here and I love it with all my heart but I do not want this to exist in print because some of the stuff in it I would never say now you know um then it was hard to let that one go because a bit of me felt like oh I wanted to say to it oh I'm sorry baby I haven't forgotten you I'll pop you in um, <laughs> another part of me was like you're, you're not quite right like well done you know you were great when Beth was 22 but now I'm 33 I think I'm just gonna leave this <laughs> at the door absolutely I don't know I don't know yeah well I'm really glad that you've had a good time you know putting the book together and it's been lovely I know it's been really nice working with you and obviously going backwards and forwards on the doing the typeset with you as well was really nice and um I felt like this year um because all of you came to the burning eye convention um Mm. last year I feel like there was, there's been a real sense of camaraderie between all of the poets that were there last year and picking up each other's work. And, and I don't know if that was the first time you did it, but I thought that was absolutely brilliant. It was the first time that we've done it. And we did it, it again. Yeah, we've just done it again um, for our 2021 poets, but we did it on Zoom this time. Mm. Um, and I just think it's really important to be really transparent with people, especially because Burning Eye our publishing model is not like other presses we you know ours is not reliant on the book trade as it as it is the poet focus we're very poet focused yeah um so it just felt like it made sense for us to do something like that and also give it's like a family it's like a bit I feel like I've been allowed into the burning eye family which is quite nice yeah Clive does like to call it the family whereas Um, before I'd be like breathing on the window looking at you all having a roast a vegan roast inside because I like draw a love heart with my steam on the window but now I feel like someone's opened the door it's really nice (laughs) (laughs) you're more than welcome into the family thank you yeah it's really nice to have you Um, yeah and I I just wanted to know if you wanted to um do us a poem treat us to a poem for the last podcast of the year the last poem on the podcast I mean yeah I would love to I I would love that can you could you maybe like chat for 20 seconds while I just have a look thank you thanks so for those of you uh, listening, you can get Best Book Neon from the Burning Eye web store today. It won't arrive in time for Christmas because the Christmas orders are done, but you will get it at some point and you will love it as much as I have. Or you can go directly to Beth um, where she might send it to you in a box with her cat who apparently really likes boxes. Uh. <laughs> so Beth sent us a video 
um, of the books arriving and opening the box. And usually, you know, this, that's a very nice moment. And Beth's cat is in the video and it just gets in the box as soon as it can. And it's amazing. While Beth is like, you know, having a sort of emotive moment <laughs> the cat's just like I'm just oh, crying. No, 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 this is my bed now. <laughs> That's my darling coconut. And she she knew. She knew. Ruby was watching too. They knew. They knew that mama's book was in there. <laughs> um okay, I'm gonna read a poem called Blossom. Um and um it's basically about um the same thing that I write about every time, which is being a sad lesbian, really. So um <laughs> no surprises there. <laughs> Okay. There is blossom in the garden and my heart is going under. I am nine and crushing catkins and lilac in a small cracked tumbler. I'm making perfume to put on the insides of my wrists because I want the older girl next door to hold me on her lap like a wish and I can't think of any other way for her to notice me than this. My limbs are pink licorice. They are as sturdy as my dolly's cot. My heart is the stone of an apricot. It is a crooked thing already and bends only towards the side she is on. I need her. I hold my hands on the kettle as it boils, soft scold on conglomerate of flesh. The perfume will make me her martyr. I'm creating stigmata with my skin undressing. This perfume is my love for her, but on the outside, my fevered little honey blessing. I wait for it to cool by drawing around my body with my chalks, but I am not allowed outside the crime scene lines that I'm making, how much compassion there is in boundaries, how much passion there is in the breaking. And I bow out on the fresh cut lawn with stripes mown out, and I put my lips to the bowl to taste and to see if it shouts, and I'm paying me to lip benediction with my mouth in a body that has always been less cathedral and more slaughterhouse. Children have such dangerous hearts. Ever since I realized I could make thoughts, I knew there were rocks in my diaphragm and I learned the hard way that when you're humiliated, it's the act of someone else giving you their shame. It takes the ownership of all their bad things away and gives it to you to hold instead. And when I told a teacher, she said that sometimes Beth, life just gives you lemons, but I didn't understand that at all. And on the way home, I bought myself a bag of lemons and I sat and looked at them and I wished life had given them to me. Life hadn't given me anything at all. No girl had given me anything at all. Not yet. The perfume called under the apple tree. I pour it in my hair and knock on her door, praying, notice me, notice me, notice me, notice me, notice me in my head. But no one was home. So I run to the shed. And inside the old tennis rackets there are spider eggs. I heave in the vacuum-packed air, see the neon line bubble of the spirit level softly watching me there. All this hot sun trapped in the tarpaulin, I press between my legs and it is her name I am calling. And later I sleep with a depth I didn't know was at the bottom of me. I'm on top of the duvet and I'm undressed and wet and freezing cold. I am 10 years old. I am 10 years old. I squeeze my eyelids shut and pray. The burns feel like an analgesic, the napalm balm of yesterday. The pain is so bad, the whites of my eyes roll back. One lap, one lap, one lap could never, ever be enough for me. I am 33 and I have climbed into so many and still the flowers burn. I find no absolutions. This scripture is just kindling to me. When I was 15 years old, I knocked on the door again with peonies. 
my twins aftershave on my skin. Home tastes like sin. We kissed and she pinned my arms down tightly and left urgent blotches branded on my skin, brodery on glaze. There were magic marker lines on me that lasted for days and days. In the end, you only ever really end up with the things that you give away. She tasted like catkins and lilac. She tasted like the corner of my pillow, of sweetness and of violence. Mary Magdalene is still of no comfort to me. Religion is just looking at the sky because we're all lonely. I think we're all just searching for ourselves and each other. This was the summer where I realized that idols were just statues and not a replacement for a mother. My body is a slaughterhouse. My heart is howling in the glow. I can't seem to find the Holy Ghost and I want to talk to you so much, but there's such a very narrow line between not wanting to tell you, but desperately needing you to know. Mine is a killer. With hindsight, that one was very dark. Should have picked the one before, but there you go. Summer lighter, summer lighter. Well, we are in the dark, (laughs) the dark side of the year. (laughs) We're always in the dark side of the year with poets. But I really appreciate that. that, that, Those last two lines are fucking incredible. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie, it's been such a wonderful pleasure to be working with you this year and to finally have to look out. I know it's been it's been a wonderful time and, and we'll have to get you back in the new year to do um, an event for us or two and we know that you've got a very special launch happening which I'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention or not yet. No no that's fine you can mention it so in sometime in January I'm going to be doing my launch um, at Gaze the Word which will be pretty cool very excited. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Yeah I'm really <laughs> excited for that I think it's gonna be great Gaze the Word are a great bookshop um and you can get Burning Eye books from there. So, woohoo! Woo! Stephanie, it's been really nice to talk to you today. Lovely to talk to you too. Always a pleasure. Um, go yeah. and enjoy your evening and hug your cats and have a nice time. Oh, well, lovely to talk to you. Take care. You Bye. Too. Bye. See Bye. ya. Bye.